talk about you. And that means we have a very big task. And so I ask you to help me not misrepresent you. I ask you to help us not misrepresent you. You're glorious and wonderful. You are just and merciful. You are righteous and holy. Your wrath and grace. Your glory. And you are also judge. And so I pray that as we speak today, that as the Scripture says, that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. And that that would be what we as a congregation give to you in worship today as we read your word and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Two quick things. I found out, ran out the back real quick and found out that we'd run out of copies of the budget to give you. So uh, I would not be upset if you needed one of those copies and you slipped out while I'm preaching and grabbed one. I'll be okay with that. Since we made some more copies, Kenneth will be back there. He's got them in his hand and happy to give them to you. Also, uh, I failed to mention last week, we've been putting it out over the Internet, put it on our Twitter feed, we've put it out on our Facebook page, we've sent it to you by email, that uh, February is peanut butter month, and I see you've got a wonderful response already with all the peanut butter in the lobby. And so we're going to give you one more week to do that, and then a week from next uh, Sunday, excuse me, a week from today, the last day to collect, and a week from tomorrow is when they'll come and pick it up and take it. You've been wonderful at this. Some people ask the question, why 16-ounce jar and why plastic? Because I can get like this really good deal in this mega jar that they sell that I like need a crane to put in my car down at Sam's. And uh, the reason is, is one of the chief things we're doing right now through the food bank is the backpack program. And we're sending backpacks full of food home with children who have not had sufficient food in their homes for the weekend. And so the backpack program packs a backpack of healthy food that they carry home. And like the big mega peanut butter thing won't won't go in that. So the 16 ounce, and, and we do need it plastic because it is... Uh, there are children carrying it, and, and so we want the children to be safe with uh, the plastic. So that's, that's why. I just wanted to mention that to you. Um, I, I want to talk to you today about something very serious. It flows in with what we've been talking about. And, and so we'll review in just a second. I was reading in the book of Mark this week, and this is going to dovetail with some conversation that I've heard, and, and then maybe you'll see where we're going. Um, I was reading in, in the book of Mark, and there's this time uh, there early in Mark where Levi is called. Jesus goes to Levi, to the tax collector, and uh, that was what, what, what would have been described in, in layman's terms as the scum of the earth. Uh, they were traitors to their people. That's how they were seen. Uh, they were uh, cheaters on uh, how money was handled. And so uh, he goes to Levi. And he, and he calls him to follow him. He ends up being called Matthew. It was really interesting what happens after that. Jesus is hosting a party uh, with all of these folks. And it says that all of the tax collectors and sinners 
were coming to eat with them. And then something I'd never noticed before, it says, and there were many of them. There were many of them. So, the most undesirable element in the city, in the town, in the country, are the people that are coming to Jesus. I was listening to some believers recently. They were discussing people at Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And here's what I heard believers say. Did you see all that trash down there in New Orleans? Let me share something with you. That's who Jesus is after. If we're missing that, we're missing the whole deal. Make sure that we don't mess this up and drive this car off the bridge now, okay? If Jesus came to town today, that's where He would go. He would go to where the people who were disconnected from God are. That's what He did. And He would love them. And He would make His message clear. He would present what God is like. And He would present the Gospel in its clarity. And there would be no doubt about the call to repentance. There would, there would not be any doubt about what God is asking of them. So we need to be careful in how we think of people. Because here's how the Bible says it. In Romans, that famous passage we love to use in our evangelism, it says, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. So I don't know who you've seen and how you interpreted them, but they do not need Jesus any more or any less than you do, than I do. So I want us to really make sure that we're getting this, because what happened with the Pharisees is they weren't getting that. They were standing back and observing the trash that Jesus was spending time with, and they accused Him because of it. And they rejected Him because of it. And I want to make sure that there's nobody in here, us, that are in danger of being a Pharisee and looking out and seeing somebody and thinking that somehow they don't qualify for the same need that I have. And that is... We need a Savior who can forgive anything. We need a Savior who can forgive everything. We need one whose blood is so powerful that there is nothing that any one of us have ever done. And and, and we've got to make this clear in our proclamation that puts anyone too far from God. And God specialized in rejects when Jesus came. So when I talk about this today, I want us to really think about our language. How we refer to people who are far from God. 
and how we refer to their need. Because one of the things that God makes clear about all humanity is every human being was made in his image. Though that image is marred, though it is fallen, though it is broken, the value of every human being still rests not in their desirability, but in the image of God marked upon every single human being. So we have to be careful how we interpret Jesus, his words, and the ministry of the church. God wants to be known. He desires to be known. He has labored in a particular set of ways so that he can be known. And so we're going to walk back through last two weeks and then lead up to what we're going to do today. We found out last week in review that God has made the knowledge of him available. We saw that he can be known in these ways. What were those ways? He wants to be known accurately. He wants us to speak of Him in a way that faithfully represents who He is. He wants us to know Him personally. He's not a generic being. He's not some man upstairs. He is a loving being who enjoys personal relationships with His own, that is the Son and the Holy Spirit, and with his image, that is us, who are made in His image. He also wants us to know Him savingly. God wants us to know Him as a deliverer, a redeemer, a rescuer. And as we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're constantly confronted with pictures of Jesus as a rescuer. A deliverer. We're constantly pictured, God is pictured to us as one who comes in and saves, who snatches out from danger. And so all of these pictures are because God wants to be known as Savior, deliverer, and particularly He does that to us through Jesus Christ. And He wants us to know Him intimately. The pictures He gives of Himself. Isaiah 66, the love of a mother. All over Deuteronomy, the love of a father. We read it today in Malachi, talking about the love that a father has and where is the honor due to the father. The love of a husband and a wife. When you read Hosea, it's just kind of dripping with the sweet love that a couple has where the husband loves his wife. And he embarrasses himself to rescue her when she's gone so far as to sell herself into prostitution. And he shows up and buys her off the auction block when she has reduced her existence to money. And he loves her. God wants us to know him eternally. The Bible shows us in John seventeen three. Jesus says, and this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's to know Him forever and ever. Well, He's given us some ways, some means to know Him. Well, He's he's giving us the creation that's a great thing to go over that, Lynn. Amazing grace. That's perfect. The creation. 
When God made the expanse of the universe, he didn't do it for himself so that he could have something that he needed. He did it for us so he could communicate to us. All of the expanse of the universe was made so that those who were made in his image can look at this universe and say, Wow! His invisible attributes, his divine nature, and his eternal power are clearly seen in the expanse and the complexity, in the beauty of a cell, in the beauty of DNA, in the beauty of a flower, in the beauty of the stars, in the expanse of the universe. All of this was displayed to talk personally to you so that you could know him. That's why He made it. That's why it exists. He didn't speak it out of need. He gave it in love. He gave it as a testimony to what He's like. And so God has done all of that. He uses our conscience. Our consciences can be broken. It can be seared. It can be harmed. It can be um, numbed. But he still uses our conscience. The Bible talks about the witness in us. And he talks about the Gentiles having not the law that they possessed, but a knowledge in their own conscience, defending them or accusing them of this thing called good and evil. God gives us the Bible, the perfect, inerrant, infallible, eternal word. God gives us Jesus Christ, the absolute icon, perfect image of God, He is the image of the invisible God. And He said to His disciples, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And then He left the church, filled us with His Holy Spirit, sent His Holy Spirit out into the world to confirm what we were going to be coming out to tell Him so that we would go to work growing in His likeness. We mentioned last week that knowing God should be considered most desirable. And we learned this from John chapter 4 when Jesus was having this interaction with the Samaritan woman. And He says to the Samaritan woman, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. What is being said here is that if you just knew what God was like, you'd be knocking at His door. You'd be asking. And I'm afraid that the picture that we give of God into the community by our witness, by our words, by our work, isn't always that kind of a picture. Where we go out in the community and we say, you know, God is so great that if you knew what He was offering you, you'd come knocking at my door to get it. You'd be at the church early Sunday going, Hey, let me in. I want in on this. If you knew what God was like and what He's offering and who He's offering it through. Listen, there is a day coming when that majesty is going to be revealed. The Bible says there is a day of revelation coming when what God has offered and who He has offered it through, God's going to peel back the curtains of heaven. And the Bible says that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
on that day, it will be absolutely perfectly clear. But leading up to that day, we're supposed to be making it clear. We're supposed to be busy showing the wonder and value of knowing God through Jesus. That's our task. And so what does God do to do that? Well, He has to show us that there's a problem we're up against, and that is that the knowledge of Him is lacking, and that lack of knowledge, we learned last week, is both willful and environmental. It's a hard issue, and it's an environment in which that uh, that knowledge of God is not desired, it is not wanted, it is not accepted. In fact, it's actually worked against. And we talked about how God counters that willful and environmental lack of knowledge. We mentioned, how does God work to overcome those two hindrances to knowing Him? First, God transforms us as we grow in His likeness. And then what does He do? He takes us, go ahead, Lynn, and He plants us. God informs the people of the world of what He is like through planting among them those of us who are growing in His likeness. If you're a Christian, you are already planted in a particular place to represent God. It's already happening. You don't have to wait on it to occur. You don't need a card. We're not going to send you a mailer on that. There's not an email coming out saying, hey, you are planted where you are to represent God. It's already happening. And you're being where you are in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the places that you do marketing, wherever you go, when you're vacationing, driving, whatever interaction you have with another human being, you are God's representative. That's it. You're His ambassador. Every attitude, every demeanor, every behavior, all of those things. And so that's why God is growing us in His likeness so that what will spill out of us into our home, what will spill out and pour out of us in our workplace, in our neighborhood, are things like this. God is known as love. God is known to give peace. God is patient. God is gentle. God is kind. God is good. God is faithful. God is self-controlling. So that the fruit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, begin to pour out of us into the people in our home, in our community, in our workplace, in the marketplace, in politics, in whatever realm God takes us, so that we are faithful ambassadors and representatives of Him. A few years ago, two things happened that really disturbed me. They were painful for me, and I I took them to heart. Now, when I describe them, I want you to know that I'm describing behaviors that I know that I'm guilty of, So if I describe, and maybe you're in the group that I'm thinking of, I want you to understand that everything I'm about to tell, I'm 100%, 110, guilty of. 
We were at uh, Ryan's back when Ryan's was open, uh, and it was kind of the the jumping place for after church. And so we were there, and I don't normally go out on Sundays after church. I normally eat at home, and we have folks around our table, and it's always a, a sweet time for us. And but we were out, and I was sitting talking with Lainey, my older daughter, and. I was looking around in Ryan's. I was seated in a place and I just had kind of a corner seat and I had a good view of what was going on. And I just, something just provoked my spirit. And I noticed something. So I, I, I bumped Laney and I said, hey Laney, what do you see? And, and so she started looking around. She said, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I said, look, just look. She, she just kept looking. She said, I don't know. People just don't seem happy here. I said, do you know who these people are? This is the church crowd. And we noticed that they were grumpy and demanding, unhappy and gossiping. And I thought, you know what? Post-church ought to be happy hour at every restaurant. See, happy hour is known for serving liquor, but happy hour ought to be known for having Christians. There ought to be something so significantly representative of us, of God in us. This love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control should be so exuding from our character, our behavior, our demeanor, when we go into places that the the people start going, man, I can't wait for the church people to get here. Hey, they're generous when they tip. Hey, they're kind when they ask. Hey, they're encouraging. Yesterday morning I had the privilege of going out to eat breakfast in Jonesville with two buddies of mine that have grown up in the ministries that I've been in, two young guys who really love the Lord. Some of you guys know them, Wesley Strebeck and Matthew Poole. And so we got to get together at that little shell station in Jonesville. Y'all know where I'm talking about? The chicken on the stick place, all right? A little health food there. And so we all got together and ordered some really bad food and sat for a couple hours and just fellowshiped in the Lord and what God's doing in our life. And so our waitress came up to wait on us. Her name's Sharon. And I said, Sharon, we're about, we're about to pray. How can, how can we pray for you? And man, it was like somebody had just shocked her. She said, my husband's had a stroke. He can't work. I'm stressed out. There's kids and taking care of them. There's bills. And it's just really hard right now. I said, what's your husband's name? She said, Matthew. I said, we're going to pray for Matthew. We're going to pray for you right now. She said, oh, I'm so thankful. And we did. We prayed to the Lord God of heaven and earth who is able to do things beyond our comprehension. And we began to pray for her and ask God, Lord, heal Matthew. Make them able to have the, what they need to, to take care of the family. God, meet their needs. And we just were deeply moved by that. And so I said to the guys, I said, okay, guys, we can't just stop here. Let's just give her some money. And so we all took a little bit of money. It wasn't any kind of big giant demand. We took the money. And God just laid on my heart this. He said, in my heart, give that to her, but make sure she knows why. And you know, God doesn't talk to me like that, but you know what I'm talking about. I just knew. And so I went up to her and I put it in her hand and I said, Sharon, all I want to do is remind you of what God is really like. Listen, God's a giver. He's not a taker. 
And the Sharons of the world are waiting on people to stop and be concerned. They're everywhere. They're laboring under the weight of brokenness and illness and sorrow. And we're running around with our game plan and we're missing them. And so for that moment, a knucklehead named Bart and two young knuckleheads got to say something to Sharon. And Sharon got to go home and she got to think God's kind and God's generous. I don't know what else she knows about God. But we made sure she knew those two things. Didn't get a chance to share the gospel. Maybe God will open that door. Maybe you're the next one going out there if you travel through that area. And you're going to look for Sharon, long dark hair. You're going to find her and you're going to minister to her. God transforms us and then He informs the people of the world what He is like through planting among them those of us who are growing in His likeness. My chief job every day is to know God in such a way through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit through the revelation of His Word that I'm being conformed to His image because I need to go out and I need to show people what He's like. That's what I'm to do. That's what you're to do. So here's what happens. Go ahead, Lynn. As His ambassadors, we represent God by clarifying what His character and nature are like. When the Apostle Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 17, he said, what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you today. And I need you to know that the God who made the heavens and the earth is not like objects that you can make with your hands, whether they're stone or wood or the artistry of man, because He gives life and breath to everyone and He doesn't need anything because He's not served by human hands. We have a job. And that is, we are to go out and show and demonstrate and clarify through our behavior, through our teaching, through our ministries, we're to clarify to the world what God is like. I read the testimony of a young woman in Iran who had come to Christ and been horribly persecuted, but the way that she came to Christ was the kindness of the church and the genuine worship she experienced when she visited a church. And she went, this is what I've been looking for all my life, a personal God who loves. And so through that church's ministry, she found out what God is like. And so this is What's going on? We are to show what God is like. So think about this. I get up in the morning, plain old Bart Walker. I get dressed just like you do, put in my pants one leg at a time. I know some of you are gymnasts and you probably can jump right into your pants two legs at a time. The rest of us put them on one leg at a time and we go about the normal routine. How many of you are really rough before coffee in the morning? How many of you? Honestly, you rough before? I'm rough before coffee. You don't want me before coffee. If I'm coming to visit you at the hospital, pray that I get coffee before I get there. Okay, because I want to be clear-headed and interested in you. Because I don't know what it is, but I'm just like you. I struggle with all kinds of things. But here's the thing. Bart Walker can get up on any day of the week and he can say, Listen, here's my thing. I need to know God. That's what I need to do. I need to spend time with Him. I need to be personal with Him, intimate with Him. I need to see Him through His creation and His glory. I need to hear Him through His Word. I need to behold Him in Christ. I need to enjoy Him through the church. I need Him to prick my conscience in the areas that I'm wrong. I need to know God. Because in knowing Him, He's going to make me more and more like Him through His Holy Spirit. 
Because he's about to send me to talk to my wife. He's about to send me to spend a few minutes with my daughters. He's about to send me to pray for somebody in a hospital and to come up to the office and deal with people. He's about to send me to McDonald's to pass through there and get that latte. He's about to send me places and I need to faithfully represent Him. And so I need to know Him. That's why I need a quiet time. I don't need a quiet time because of legalism. I don't need a quiet time because my small group is going to check on me, which it should. I need a quiet time because I need to know what God is like. And because I'm a hard-headed, knuckle-headed, sinful, fleshly boy, I need to be reminded every day what He's like. So I need to dive into His Word. I need to behold Him in His creation. I need to know Him through Christ. I need Him to, in my conscience, say, Bar, you are so sinful, you need to start your day confessing and repenting and getting things right. I need that. Because as I'm transformed in His likeness, I go out as His ambassador. And I represent Him to everybody. I represent Him to my wife. And I want to tell you what, there's been a lot of times I've not loved Sherry like Jesus loves the church. And I failed right there at the simplest place. I've misrepresented Him to my kids with shortness of temper. No, I need to be in His Word so I can know Him, so He can shape me. So when I encounter Sherry, she knows more of what God is like. That's what He's doing to know Him. And grow me in His likeness because what He's doing every day is He's showing people what God is like through me. And so I'm His ambassador. And I represent Him by clarifying what His character and His nature are like. When Jesus spoke with the woman at the well, He said, you worship what you worship in ignorance. You worship what you do not know. And Jesus clarified to her what God is like. Second, As His ambassadors, we represent God by accurately communicating the message of His gospel. Come with me to these texts that Andrew read and look at how that is fleshed out. It is so beautiful. We'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is just a great chapter anyway. It's one of the most wonderful chapters about eternity and its glories. But there's this picture given to us in 2 Corinthians 5 where this is what he says. Verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, if you're here today and you're unreconciled with somebody in your life, you're not carrying out God's will in your life. You are not carrying out the ministry of reconciliation. You've stopped it. It's like a garden hose that water's supposed to flow through and give somebody a precious, fresh drink of cool water and you've got a knot tied in it and grace is just all stopped up in you. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that we be reconciled to others and others be reconciled to God. This is our ministry and we proclaim this message. Notice, what is that message? Verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Do you know what that means? We can go to the French Quarter and say to a person that somebody refers to as trash, that God is not looking down upon them as trash. <laughs> he loves them. And He's not counting their trespasses against them to qualify them to come to Him. 
Now, if they enter eternity without reconciliation, yes, those trespasses will be counted. Yes, they will. But as He sends you and me out, He's not asking us to take stock of how messed up they are. He doesn't want you counting their trespasses against them. He's not. He wants you to go out and clearly communicate to them that He is better than a Mardi Gras party. He is better than a drunken brawl. He is better than a stinking football game. Think about it. We're missing on this. This is glorious. God wants us to go to these people and say, do you know what you're missing? Everything you've ever experienced, whatever pleasure you have ever been a part of, whatever it is that fired you up, is merely a tiny hint of what God is offering. Think about it. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is great. He's not counting their trespasses against them as pre-qualifiers of receiving the Gospel. So He says it here. Not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's the message of His Gospel. He breaks it down, verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. Do you get that? Entreating through us. When you meet somebody, guess who's talking through you? Who? Who? God is talking through you to everybody you meet. That's what your job is. He is entreating through you. Think about the privilege of representing God to the world. We've got a new administration and all the bustle and talk right now. Who are going to be the ambassadors to all the nations? There's a lot of talk about that. Why? Because being an ambassador is a huge privilege. There's a great big deal to that. You're already an ambassador of the living God. Of the nation of the firstborn. Think about that. And you're repping Him. You work for a king in a kingdom. And you're repping Him to people. And there's this glorious privilege that you and I have to communicate that to people. And so, let me go back. Let me finish this. Uh, in verse 21, it says, well, here's 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Do people hear that from you? Do they hear from your life and your message and your testimony? Be reconciled to God. That's what I'm here for. Oh, here's my message, by the way, verse 21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How did I get to be formed and shaped in the image and character of God to carry this message? Jesus became me. On that cross, listen, on that cross, Jesus was everything I have ever been and will ever be that I am so ashamed of. He became sin. He became your sin. He became my sin. And there He is, stripped naked on the cross, ashamed before the people, bearing the sin of the world. And He did that because He loves us. That's how I came to Him. Because of this glorious gospel. 
And so we, we, we go to number three, and I finish up with this. As His ambassadors, we represent God by demonstrating a conduct that exemplifies His character, nature, and gospel. Jump over to 1 Peter and look at what is going on in 1 Peter. And then I'm going to give you um, an example and, and then we're going to go. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it tells about who we are and the message we have. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Do you think I'm fired up about that? This is a great privilege. God is letting me talk to you about Him. Is there anything more wonderful I could do with my life? Is there anything more precious that we could ever do than to tell people how excellent God is? How saving He is? How forgiving He is? How just and righteous and holy He is? How empowering He is. How freeing He is. Oh, look. He says to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of, his, out of darkness into His marvelous light. And then here's the conduct. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers that you abstain from fleshly lusts and that you keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they will on account of your behavior and good deeds glorify God in the day of visitation. What does it mean they slander you? Well, here's what was happening. When Christians came on the scene in Rome, they were a shock to people. Folks asked Christians, they said, hey guys, where's your temple? They said, we don't have a temple. We are the temple. The living God lives in us. He doesn't need a shrine. He lives in us. What? Well, where do your priests minister? We don't have priests. We have one high priest, and we are a kingdom of priests representing God to you. Where do you offer your sacrifices? We don't have sacrifices. There was one ultimate and perfect sacrifice whose name is Jesus, the Son of the living God, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead to testify that His payment for our sins was sufficient so that we would be forgiven of our sins and given eternal life. The Romans looked at them and said, well, you must be atheists then. And they slandered them and called them atheists because there was no temple, there were no sacrifices, there were no priests. And so the Gentiles were slandering them, calling them atheists. But then the Gentiles started noticing how these atheists lived. They noticed how they loved. They noticed how they had joy. They noticed how they lived in peace. They noticed the patience with which they dealt with others. They noticed that the kindness was different than other people they knew. They noticed that the goodness of their character was very noticeable. They noticed that they were faithful to God and to others in their faithfulness. They were faithful to their spouses and children. They noticed that they exhibited self-control. And they said, how do you do that? 
What makes y'all so different than everybody we know? That was the question. I was at Super One. For some reason, I was in charge of picking up chicken after a morning service. For some event that we were having. I got there pretty quickly. I don't know how we got out so early. But I beat all the church people. And I was at the counter early. And I was picking up the chicken for the event. We do Super One chicken all the time. We're like into that. It's sort of the crack of Baptist churches. Okay. And I heard the lady behind the counter say, Oh no, here come the church people. I really hope that that will never be said again. Because we're different. That every one of us will this day rise to the occasion to say, the greatest task for me is to know God in such a way that I grow in His likeness. So that everywhere I go and everything that I do, I show people what God is like. I think it'd be beautiful if Super One Lady said, Hey, here come the church people. What a sweet bunch of folks. They're so different. I know that that can only come about on your college campus, in your high school classroom, in your homeschool setting, at your sporting event, and in your shopping time, and in your interaction with your spouse and kids and parents. I know that it will only come about if all of us would get serious, deep, 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 godly serious today and say, God, here's my thing. I want to know You. I want to know you in such a way that I'm grown to be like you. Because I truly believe that my remaining purpose in life is to show you to everybody that I meet. I believe that's how the New Testament church changed Rome. Not through gimmicks, not through political power, Not through the leveraging of who got elected. But through one thing. A group of people so desperate to know God. So clearly grown in His likeness. That it was evident that what they did every day was show people what God is like. I'm going to ask you to bow with me. And I want to challenge you with one question to close.
And I think it's important that I ask you, and I think it's important that you seek earnestly to answer. So here it is. What picture of God are people getting from you? What picture of God are people getting from you? Now, for some of you, that question begs another, and that is, are you really in a personal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, I'm not expecting you to be like God. Nor does the Bible. Your greatest need right now is to know Him in the saving way through Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that He loves you in a way beyond your comprehension. That You are so sinful that you can't even imagine how sinful you are. But you are so loved that you cannot comprehend how loved you are. It is far beyond the excess of your sin. And that in His love, God has made a way to come to Him through the death of His Son, Jesus. Who took your place as a substitute in life, living righteously, and in death, dying sacrificially. And that in living for you and dying for you, Jesus has made sufficient payment for you that His resurrection affirms that you can come to God now freely and have all of your sins forgiven. You can do that today. Right now, you can do it. And so if that's your place, I want to lead you to come to God. I want to pray with you. And you could pray with me right now to come to Him. God, I know how sinful I am. And I'm sorry. But I know you look at me now with love. And that you offer me forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And I want to confess to you that I believe in Him. And I'm turning from my old life and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me and forgive me. Make me your child. I want you to be my father. In Jesus' name. Others of you are here today And when I asked you the question, what picture of God are people getting from you? It bothered you. And there was reason that it did. Because you know that there's an unclear statement coming from you in your life. But as a believer, I know you want that to be different. Just like every time I've failed, I look back and I think, that's not how I wanted to represent God. And God is gracious in that. But he does, want to, he does want His image to be clearly reflected in us. So, perhaps there's one particular thing right now that's keeping you from displaying the likeness of God. A particular sin, a particular attitude, some unforgiveness or unreconciliation. And you know that it's holding you back. And you know even your spouse or your children or your parents are picking up on the unclarity in your life. Would you re- resolve that today? And simply pray with me this prayer. 
God, I want to know you in such a way, so intimately, so personally, so savingly in Jesus Christ that I faithfully grow in your likeness so that I can show people what you're like. Would you pray that now? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray with this dear flock. I pray with them now. God, make us in the image of Jesus through knowing you intimately and personally and savingly, gloriously. Lord, we want to reflect you and take us and grow us in the likeness and take us out and let us show what you're like to the outcast, to the wealthy, to the weak and to the strong. To the religious and to the irreligious. Let us go out as your representatives. Faithfully showing what the kingdom and the king are like in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? As God works in your heart, would you come?